here in a couple weeks, we've been talking about life together, love outward, and this is our theme for this year. We are going to do life together. We're going to be in each other's lives. We're going to encourage each other. We're going to uplift each other. We're going we're gonna to call out the best in each other, and we're going to love outward. We're going to love our community, those around us. And so right after we just did four weeks of vision and values on who we are and where we're going, um, I wanted to bring up this, this is a brand new series called Gather, and we're going to redefine what the church is. And I don't know what your thoughts of church, I don't know what they are, and when I say the word church, so, so some of you are thinking, oh, I rem- mom used to pinch me to keep me quiet in church. Others of you are thinking like Saturday night church lady, if you guys remember her, like um, other people, we think of all kinds of different things when we say the word church. Others of you, to be honest, you're here today, you're testing out the church and you're saying, you know, what my vantage point from church is it was miserable and everybody judged me and they looked down upon me. Let me tell you, the church should be the healthiest thing in the world. And we as a church, we're pushing into that. And so I, this series is meant to discover what the church is meant to be. What the church is meant to be. Um, I remember, I'm going to tell you a little bit about my history here as far as my first church experience. But one of the biggest memories that I have is my dad. So I'm, I've always been like fidgety. So I tend to shake my leg like this, but we didn't have chairs like this. We had pews in my church growing up. And that pew, I would shake my leg, and my dad would have this, he had massive hands and fingers. He would just grab my leg right here. And there's moments where he would squeeze, and I'm like, I would yelp (laughs) as a child. "Ah!" Like, it was too much. But those are some of my thoughts. I, I, I remember, what is church? And I remember, they're like, okay, that's painful, and, um, and these people are mean, and, and what is church? So, um, and, and just so you know, my family grew up in this very traditional church. Um, first off, three quarters of the sermon was in Latin, okay, which I didn't understand at all. To this day, I don't understand Latin. Um, we didn't, my family didn't eat until after the church service was done. And so not only was I like an inch away from slipping into like a boredom boredom coma because I couldn't understand what he was saying, I was also starving, okay? But then they offered communion, and I was so excited for a snack. (laughs) This is true. (laughs) But before we could have the snack, the priest would list a long list of sins um, that we may have committed during the week. Now, I couldn't pronounce half of those sins, yet alone, I didn't know what they were, but I would have, as a kid, I would have admitted to any of them just to get that snack that was on its way, (laughs) that little bite of food. Uh, So whether you have a long history of church, maybe you've gone to church your whole life, um, and for me, you know, I have these different seasons where that was one season, and then we had a season the next season, which is three years, and then we have this next season. So I don't know what your church history has been. Um, Some of you might even still be iffy about church. You're trying to figure it out. What what is this thing? But we all have some idea of what church is. 
And the challenge for every one of us is to see the church the way that God intended the church to be. Um, the church from the very beginning began as a movement. It was not created as a building or hierarchy or institution. It was a movement. And guess what movements do? They move. They move. It was a movement that was launched around an event, and it was the resurrection of Jesus. And so my goal for this series, and especially this morning, is to help us reconsider our thinking about church and redefine in our hearts what church is all about and maybe even ask that question, what's my role in the church? So as we move forward, I, I'm going to start with one simple understanding. The church was launched as a movement. And remember, movements were intended to move into every part of our lives and every part of this world. So, let me give you one Greek word today, okay? I'm not going to do much today, but... So, the word church is a translation of the Greek word ekklesia, okay? Ekklesia, uh, which literally means an assembly or a gathering of people, okay? Ekklesia just, ref it, it's talking about a gathering of people, an assembly. And when Jesus launched the church... He launched it as a gathering of people around one idea, and one idea only, one mission. It was to proclaim and demonstrate the kingdom of God, to give good news to the world. But then something horrible happened in history. As time went on, there was a transition that took church from being understood as a movement and missional community into church as a location, does that make sense? All of a sudden, we move from a grouping of people gathering together to all of a sudden, church became a location. Okay? And when that happened, everything began to go wrong for the early church. So this is about 300 years after Jesus, the birth of the church. The church transitioned from ecclesia missional gathering of people to a German Gothic word called kirchi. And so in the 4th century, the word kirchi, in a very broad sense, meant the, the Lord's house. So kirchi was a place where religious practitioners would go to practice their faith. Okay? Um, now, it might not seem like a big deal, but the shift was cataclysmic. It changed everything. It was a fundamental shift in how people understood their faith. Um, now there's no, and because there's no relationship between a missional congregation and the building that that missional congregation might meet in. There's no connection there that other than that's a tool that we could use in God's kingdom. So now most believers today, we understand this distinction, and you're saying, John, I already get this, I understand it, and yet practically, to be honest, much of the church has given in to this, this ideology. We've given into it, church as a location, instead of us being the church, and us gathering together. 
So the church is not a building. The church is a group of people. It's us together. So once the church had to do with a building, whoever controlled the building controlled the church. And follow this line of thought. Whoever controlled the building controlled the church. Whoever controlled the church controlled the scriptures. Whoever controlled the scriptures controlled the people. And as you travel down through history, whoever controlled the building and scripture and people, you know what they, then they tried to control? The government. And so this movement became a very insider, ritualistic, often immoral movement that looked nothing like what it was created to be. Nothing like it was created to be. So, and just so you know, I read church history, I love church history, and I read church history, and I, I think, what in the world was the church doing? Are you kidding me? Uh, I'm embarrassed, and, and sometimes I, I stand in a, a like, I want to I wanna curse at, at the early church, sorry, I, but I'm so frustrated sometimes at the early church and what they did and where they went. Um, they sold indul indul <laughs> indulgences to pay for St. Peter's Basilica, like this church. They sold indulgences. The, the crusaders, on their mission, they went from capturing hearts and minds of people to capturing territory. And they did it in an awful way. And, and, and I'm embarrassed when the church beats people up and spits them out and judges each other. I, it just drives me insane. And yet, throughout all of church history, there's always been groups of people that have said, no way, it's not happening with us. And I don't know if you know a guy named William Tyndale, but I want to share a little bit of his story today, um, because he's one of my heroes, because he helped the ecclesia be the, the church that God was calling it to be, be that gathering missional people again. So William Tyndale was an emerging scholar in England, and he decided that no one should control the Bible. But at the time, the church controlled the Bible. And at this time, when, when William Tyndale came onto the scene, there was no English copies of the Bible that were translated from the original Greek. There was a couple of Latin that, that were translated from Latin, but only a couple copies, and they were kept out of the public's view. They were owned by the church, and so they protected the scriptures, and they wouldn't let the average person read nor connect with the scriptures. The average churchgoer couldn't partake. They didn't have a copy of the Bible. So the only person controlling the Bible, or controlling the building, controlled the scripture at that point. And William Tyndale said, no way, it's not going to happen, enough's enough. And so he decides to translate the Bible into English. So listen, William Tyndale decided to translate the Bible into English, and he became an outlaw. And ultimately, he was burned at a stake for getting the Bible into people's hands. By the church. It wasn't people outside the church, guys. 
Those inside the church said, no, you can't do it because they wanted control. So he's this outlaw. He fled England, and he finds uh, Gutenberg's press in Germany, and he prints copies of the New Testament, and he smuggles them back into England. Suddenly, those with no authority and no power, all of a sudden, they start to understand the Bible and the Scriptures. And in a short time, or after that point, William Tyndale was, he was betrayed by a dear friend of his. He was forced back to England. He was put on trial by the church, and he was burned. Okay? But, yeah, let me tell you, it was too late. Because the average person could read the Bible for themselves. Now, during his trial, William Tyndale said this. This is to the church. And you have to understand, um, the church at that point had all authority and power in society. He said this during his trial. In a couple of years, I will help a boy that drives a plow to know more of the scriptures than you do. And he was talking to the religious elite in the church. I will let the, the average kid, the average young adult, will know more of the scriptures than you do. And it's become true, hasn't it? Now, not surprisingly, as uh, Tyndale was translating his scriptures, he did not translate the word ecclesia as kirchi, but he instead translated as congregation or gathering. And his attempt was there to return the church back to what it was meant to be, a group of people that had a vision and were called to reach the ends of the earth. So in Matthew 16, 13, Jesus gathered his followers together and asked them a question. He asked this, who do you say, there's William Tyndale, who do you say that I am? And they replied, some say John the Baptist, so these are the disciples of Jesus. And Jesus just said, who am I? And they replied, some say John the Baptist, some say Elijah, others say Jeremiah or one of the prophets. Then he asked them, but who do you say I am? Simon Peter answered, you are the Messiah, the son of the living God. Jesus replied, you are blessed, Simon, son of John, because my father in heaven has revealed this to you. You did not learn this from any human being. Now I say that you are Peter, which means rock, and upon this rock I will build my ecclesia, my church, and all the powers of hell will not conquer it. I will build, not a building, but a gathering, a movement, a missional people that have a passion in their heart to reach lives and hearts and transform the community. And the gates of hell will not conquer it, will not prevail against it. You guys, when Mao Zedong took over China, he kicked every missionary out. And he plowed down all the churches. The communists thought they had taken a death blow to the church. But guess what? Followers of Jesus didn't need a building. They met anywhere they could gather. Um, they found secret places, hidden places. Today there's an estimated 110 million believers in China. Well, I have a brother that lives in Kunming, China, as a missionary. 
with an unstoppable 10,000 new believers every single day. The church is on the move. Why? Because the government can plow down every single building, but they cannot stop the ecclesia. They can't. They can try all they want, but they cannot stop this ecclesia. Soon after Peter spoke here, Jesus was crucified, buried in a tomb on the third day. He was resurrected. And then Jesus spent 40 days with his followers before his ascension. And the book of Acts, Luke shares a little bit what happened during that time, that 40-day window. So here is Acts 1-6. So when the apostles were with Jesus, they kept asking him, Lord, has the time come for you to set Israel free and restore your kingdom? No, they asked this because they were still had in their mind that Jesus was going to establish his earthly kingdom. Okay, their, their mind's still there. Okay, and then verse 7, he replied, the Father alone has authority to set these dates and times, and they are not for you to know. But you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on you. Woohoo, we're going to get power. Power for what? Well, and you will be my witnesses, telling people about me everywhere in Jerusalem, throughout Judea, in Samaria, and to the ends of the earth. And they probably thought, uh, Jesus, we're a minority sect living under Roman occupation, the most powerful government in the world. I hope we can do this. Well, at least we know Jerusalem. And Judea, we kind of know that area. Samaria, Jesus, are you kidding me? We don't like them. What, the ends of the earth, huh? What are you even talking about, Jesus? Now, this movement is being called from the very beginning to touch every part of the world. And guys, that's exactly what's happened. That's exactly what's happened. Uh, there was an anthropology college professor visiting in the island of Fuji. So I've always wanted to visit Fuji and Saipan, that area. I've never been able to. Eventually I'll, I'll get there. But um, there was this anthropologist goes and he finds the elder of this tribe and he's this uh, this guy this college professor says you know what i'm sorry that you've been duped by the missionaries that came to your island so long ago it's so sad that it's so sad that you've given into their ways and their thoughts and their ideas but i'm you know the rest of the world we're just tired of that that story of the death of jesus and his resurrection it's too bad that you've given in and you didn't hold on to your heritage. And this elder said this. Do you notice the rock down there? That big rock right over there by the ocean? That's where we would take the, he like the bodies of our enemies and we would bash their heads against that rock. And do you see that thing next to it right there? That's an oven. That's where we cooked our enemies, and, and, you know, and then we would eat them. This is a true story. And he's like, oh, and then this is what this elder said to this anthropologist, college professor. If it had not been for the love of Jesus that those good missionaries showed us, you would not be leaving this place alive. We went from cannibals to following Jesus. Otherwise, we'd be having you for dinner. 
<laughs> and this anthropologist is like, oh, okay. Eating his own words. Touche. Our being here this morning is a fulfillment of this small gathering 2,000 years ago. And it takes my breath away. Guys, the church takes my breath away. I love the church, this thing called the ecclesia. It's God's intention to fix what's broken in this world. So this 120 went back to Jerusalem. They prayed together, and then something happened. Pentecost is poured out. The Spirit shows up. They're empowered. Peter decides in that moment that it's time for his very first sermon. And Peter speaks the life, death, resurrection of Jesus, and then he says this, and this is what happens. When the people that heard this sermon, Peter's sermon, when the people heard this, they were cut to the heart and said to Peter and the other apostles, brothers, what shall we do? They hear this message, and they're cut to the heart. Well, do you know what Peter replied? He said, build a building. No, right? He didn't say that at all. Here's what Peter says. Peter says, repent and be baptized, every one of you in the name of Jesus Christ, for the forgiveness of your sins, and you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. The promise is for you and your children and all who are far off, and for all whom the Lord God will call. So let me ask you a question. Who was Peter referring to when he said, all who are far off? Who? Gentiles. Us. Me and you today. I think he was thinking of a guy living in Cincinnati, Ohio in 1967. <laughs> and I want to share this story because it's an awesome story. So there was a swimmer that had made the Olympic team in 1967. Okay, his name was David. And um, so David made the Olympic swim team and he was a high diver. His friend Charles kept telling him about Jesus. And so, you know, over time, um, David gets to this point where he's like, you know, I don't want any of that Jesus stuff in my life. And, and so over time, though, they became friends. Charles kept investing in David's life. And one day, David goes to the pool at 1030 at night. So the, the Olympics are in 1968, the next year. And he wants at very, and since he was an Olympic, a future Olympian, he had access to the pool um, late at night. So he gets in there, all the lights are off. He gets ready. He climbs up onto the tallest diving board, twenty feet in the air, and um, the the moon is low in the sky, and the top of this this building's glass. Okay, and so. The, you can see the moon, and you can see everything, but the lights are not on. And so he stands up at the edge backwards on this diving board, ready to dive, and he puts his hands up like this. And as he put his hands up like this, the moon shone from across, and he sees this cross image on the wall behind him. And all of a sudden, his heart skips a beat, and he's like, like, the impact of this moment, like, everything that his friend Charles had been telling him about, it all came flooding to him. And he realizes he needs Jesus in his life. He knelt down on this diving board, gave his life to Jesus, 
He's crying. He's in tears. He's having this moment with the Holy Spirit. And he, he's ready to get up and go dive. And the lights come on because some, they were the, um, the faculty, or not faculty, but the people that were cleaning the area came in. They turned on the lights. And as David looked down, he saw that the pool was empty. Because they had drained it to clean it out. And all of a sudden, David realized, God, you just saved me and saved me, <laughs> right? His, his, his spirit, but also his life. His life. I think Peter was talking about David from Cincinnati. And he's talking about you and me today. All who are far off, all those Gentiles, all those people that don't know. Peter's referring to, to me and you 2,000 years later and to our children. This is Peter's way of saying this isn't a, a Jerusalem thing. It's not an us thing. It's not a first century thing. This message is for all who are far off. All. Geographically, chronologically, multi-generational, multiculturally, it's a message for all people. For people who haven't yet been born in places we've never heard of, like San Dimas and Cincinnati, right? <laughs> so then after this, we're told in Acts 2.41, those who accepted this message were baptized, and about 3,000 were added to their numbers that day. 3,000. 3,000. Opening day of the church, and 3,000 people were joined the ecclesia. Because it was a movement, and movements move, don't they? And this was one that moved. This is one movement that it's changed the world, and the world's never been the same since. Never been the same since. And I don't know what your idea of church was when you came in today, um, this morning, but I hope your understanding of what church is is starting to grow. And you start to dream of what the church could be and become because it's a movement with extraordinary momentum. Now, some of you are saying, come on, John. I've, I've watched the news. Uh, it may have had momentum back then, but... Not anymore. The church is dead. It's dying. Let me tell you guys. I actually, I remember one time I had somebody come to me and they said, John, I just want to go back to Acts 2. I wish I could go back to that moment where we had 3,000 people saved. And I, I, I said, I love your thought. I know, I know your heart. But let me tell you, we have 100 Acts 2 moments every single day. I don't want to go back there. I want to be a part of what God's doing here and now. Because God's doing amazing things. Amazing things. There's 100 Acts 2 every single day, people. The popular, do you, oh, let me just start. Some of you nerdy people, I would just need to start. Um, so the population growth of the world right now is 1.05%, okay? You know that genuine followers of Jesus are growing at not way over double that every single year? Um, did you know that between the period of 2010 and 2020, that 10-year span, it was the greatest growth of Jesus followers compared to any other decade in world history? 
You know that more people have come to Christ since World War II than all of the years from Jesus till World War II combined together? This thing called the ecclesia is growing. It's a movement that's moving and it's transforming the world. Every 24 hours, 174,000 people give their lives to Jesus. And I could go on and on and on. This movement is still moving. Now, some of you are saying, well, what about the American church, John? Did you know? Actually, the American church, I, I've been looking at the stats. Um, and actually, as a, uh, in Bible school, I was like following these trends. And I'm like, more churches are closing than opening. Just five years ago, there was a shift in the, America, in America, in the United States of America. There, right now, there are more churches opening than are closing each year. Absolutely, and that's a true stat. Like, like God is on the move. And the question is, are we going to jump into this gorgeous, amazing, momentum-filled thing called God's ecclesia? And it's a question that I think God's asking me and you to answer this morning. So the question is, as a church, as an ecclesia that gathers together in this building, remember, it's, this is not... This building is not the church. We are the church. Will we embrace God's call to be his hands and feet in our own Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, and the ends of the earth? To offer grace, mercy, acceptance, love to all the people that we meet. Is that going to be us or not? And if I, I want to say, I want to answer it for you. I would say, yes, that's us. Come on, we can do this. Because the church is on the move. Let's do it. Here's some practical tips for you. Number one, I want you to consider how you might have bought into the idea that the church is a location rather than a missional movement. So not intellectually per se, but practically. How have you bought into that idea? And, and so now you know that the church is us, of course. We know that. But how have you kind of bought in with certain ideas and like certain things that, that you've, maybe your actions. To see the church's location allows you to defer responsibility to the pastors. Whereas church as a missional gathering requires that you see yourself as a part of every answer. So everything that's happening, that means that you get to tackle it. That means that we as a church get to, to figure it out together. It's not just a John thing or a DeBron thing. Okay? It's not just it's not just a Vicky thing. It's an us thing. Let's figure it out. Let's push in together. So it, as soon as you give in to church's location, you defer all the ministry to the staff of the church, and that was never God's intention. It's about us together. That's why John Wimber said everybody gets to play in the game. Everybody gets to do ministry. Okay. So, um, no more saying, oh, I wish that the church would do this, or I wish that the church would start this. John, when do you want to start that? No, it's about you stepping into what God's calling the church to be and become. It's about you. I, Kate Glaze came, to, sorry, Kate's, uh, Kate start, came to me and said, I want to start a group for moms. And I'm like, that's amazing, let's go. And she's like nervous, and what, what do I do? And 
and, and she just went for it. And now we have this amazing group that's meeting in our prayer room on Wednesday nights. And so it just takes people that are willing to stand up and be the ecclesia that God's called us to be. So what's your gift? Which we'll actually get there, number two. Okay, or number three. Um, number two, open your Bible this week and read Luke Acts. Begin reading the rest of the story, because in a very real way, that story is our story and your story. In order to, for you to claim it as your own, you need to read it, right? So listen for the parts of the story where the church is moving into new territory and taking risks. It's a movement, and so are we. So the reason why I want to highlight Luke Acts is because you see the church like from infancy, and it starts to spread everywhere like wildfire. And so Luke Acts shows us, that book shows us how the, the church can just go forward in society in a very clear way. Um, and number three, find your gifts. If you don't make your unique contribution to the body of Christ, it will not be made. It's time to discover how God wired you to be the church to the world. The unique combinations of your strengths and spiritual gifts and personality can reach people that other people cannot. You know that you'll be able to reach, reach people in your, like your neighbors around you and your situation, your coworkers that I will never, ever even meet and I'll never connect with. I'll, I, I can't do it. And the other people around you can't do it either. You're the only one with those relational connections that might have the light of Jesus. And so it's up to us, right? And so find your gifts. Make your unique contribution. I love this. If you don't make your unique contribution, it won't be made. That means that each one of us is responsible to be ecclesia. Okay? That means it's up to you and me. Um, and actually, if you're trying to figure out, well, what, is, what does that one mean, John? What? How, what does that look like? On Wednesday, um, Vicki, um, they're doing a, a whole class. Vicki and Matt are doing a class on spiritual gifts and the Enneagram. It'll totally help you understand how you're wired, okay? So go to that class if you're trying to figure that stuff out. Okay, you guys good? Okay, we're going to go into and sing it a lot, this last song. Um, and... Uh, I want to say thanks to John for leading us today. Didn't he do a great job? Let me, um, why don't you guys stand with me? Let me pray. And then we're going to do some, if you need prayer after this song, we're going to invite our ministry team to come on up. But as this ecclesia, as we are this gathering of God's people, man, there can be no greater thing that we can do than just love on Jesus. Love on God right now. So let's sing our hearts out. Let's just say, Jesus, here we are, your ecclesia. God, we want to partner with this movement that is moving. We want to partner with your spirit. So like, ask the Holy Spirit as you sing this song, God, what, what's my role? What am I doing? Am I partnering with your spirit or am, am I just a pew sitter? Like, where am I? What's God doing with me today? So let's sing this song together, and then um, I'll come back up. We'll do, um, we'll invite our ministry team to, to join us, and uh, we'll have some prayer time, okay? Let's sing. Let's sing.